0: Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Now we can do the first 18 verses pretty quickly. In fact, after if you were here last Sunday night, and you were here this Sunday morning, I bet you could do the first 18 verses. This is one of those stories of the Bible that is repeated over and over again. Somebody says, what happened? And Peter starts up with a story. I was in the rooftop of Simon the Tanners in Joppa, and well, let's look at 11.1, uh, and I bet you could do it, do it yourself. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now we just read that, just stop, this is earthquake, just think earthquake, that Gentiles could receive the Jewish Messiah that they could become part of Yahweh's family. Now the apostles and the brethren throughout Judea, that would be Jerusalem and surrounding area, the Jewish area, heard that the Gentiles, the pagans, had also, like they had, received the word of God. Some of them thought that they could never be. And yet those who understood realized that was God's plan all along when he made a covenant with Abraham that through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, here's the fulfillment of that passage. And Peter came up to Jerusalem. Those who were circumcised took issue with him. It's just ironic how this Sunday morning's series in Galatians just happened to match up perfectly with Acts. I like to say I master planned that six months ago. God planned it because if you, we can build off this morning with tonight. We had table fellowship this morning. We happen to have table fellowship as the issue tonight. So here it is, when Peter gets to Jerusalem, the circumcised, the Judaizers say to Peter, I cannot believe what we've heard about you, that you went to Cornelius' house and you sat down at the table, you broke bread, you had fellowship with God in the midst of pagans. Is that true? But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. Now, this is where you could take over if you've been here. Last Sunday night this morning. I was in the city of Joppa praying. You know it. I'll do the quick version, so I don't have to read it all if you weren't here last Sunday night or this morning. I was in the city of Joppa praying. He was in the house of Simon the Tanner. There was a God-fearer by the name of Cornelius, who gave alms to the Jews and prayed to Yahweh. And his prayers and his alms had gone up as a sweet savor to God. God sent him an angel, and the divine creature said, I want you to go to Simon the Tanner's house and ask for Simon Peter. And... Peter goes up to the rooftop. It's time about for a meal. He's hungry, and he gets in some like a a dreamlike vision state. He sees a big sheet coming down with all sorts of four-footed animals, clean and unclean, and reptiles and birds of the air. And the voice from heaven says, Arise, Peter, and eat. And Peter says, No, Lord, I, I wouldn't eat anything unclean. You know better than that. Arise, Peter, and eat. Oh no, Lord, arise, Peter, and eat three times. And then the voice says something along the lines of, What I have cleansed do not call unclean. About that time, there's a knock at the door. The men from Cornelius, who've been sent to find Simon Peter at the house of Simon the Tanner, say, is Peter here? And Peter goes down the exterior stairs. They stay the night, and six men from Joppa accompany Peter so that they can also see that the Gentiles receive. Peter gets there. Cornelius drops to his feet and starts worshiping Peter. And Peter says, get up, get up. I'm just a man too. What are you doing? He says, well, come in. He he tells the story over and over again about the angel. He goes in the house of Cornelius is full with all of Cornelius' family. And Peter just... Doesn't know what else to do. He knows what to do. Anytime Peter just stands up, he starts preaching Jesus in Acts. So he starts preaching Jesus. And while he's preaching, he doesn't even give the hymn of invitation. And the spirit falls. And they start talking in tongues. He knows thus they have the spirit. And he is dumbfounded. He is dumbfounded. It's the middle of his sermon. Reminds me of Jess Moody who was preaching a revival and he said, the minister of music slept every night on the front row. And he said, uh, he was preaching along, and the minister of music was over there sleeping. And sometimes when you preach, you need to pause to give people's minds time to catch up. It gives people a mental break. And he could hear his homiletics, his preaching professor saying, you don't pause enough, Moody. You don't pause enough, Moody. You, you just go fast. You run hard. And so he just did one of those Pregnant pauses for emphasis, and when he did, the minister of music thought he was through preaching because he was sleeping. And so, the minute he paused, the minister of music thought he'd been caught. He jumped up and said, "All together now!" On hymn number two hundred seventy-three. And Moody it was about you know ten minutes into the sermon, the thirty-minute sermon, and I mean he had to go along with it, right, <laughs> to cover for the minister of music and uh, said more people got saved that night than any other night. (laughs) Sometimes the less said the better, right? Well, that's what happened. Peter wasn't even through. You can't get the Spirit till I'm through. He wasn't even through and the Spirit fell down and Peter's dumbfounded and he doesn't know what to do. He says, well, if the Spirit has baptized them, then I guess I got to baptize them with water. He really didn't make a choice, it just what the Spirit did, you see. So he tells that long story to the Judaizers who are upset because he has had this table fellowship with the Gentiles. And look at verse, six, verse 15 of, of Acts 11. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. Look at that. The Holy Spirit fell upon the pagan Gentiles just like He fell among the Jews, just like He did with us. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how we used to say, John baptized you with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if God therefore gave them the same gift as he gave to us. I want you to see this sameness. After believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Peter's not even saying he's for it. It just happened. He had no choice. God was for it. Who was I to stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down, and they glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. There it is. God's allowing the pagans to repent and have eternal life. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution." So then those who were scattered because of the persecution. Turn back to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Let's see how this scattering occurred. In Acts chapter 7, we have the S- Stephen's defense and Stephen's stoning. But in Acts chapter 8, and Saul, that's our Paul, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That is Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church. The Jews are coming after the believers now. They have stoned Stephen, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the persecution comes on the church. Now the apostles were untouchable for a while. So except for the apostles... The church was scattered, Judea, Samaria, and we're going to find tonight, even beyond that, they were were scattered. So back now to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So then, those who were scattered... You write in your Bible, write Acts 8.1 because that's when the scattering, same word in the Greek, started because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking to the word to no one except Jews alone. So initially they scatter to these various cities and among those we're going to the furthest most point which is the point of Antioch which happens to be, well, the place of our our sermon this morning. Antioch Church had a lot of Hellenist Greek-speaking Jews, those impacted by the Greek culture, those who were fluent in the Greek language. And again, in the Roman Empire, there were only two cities that were larger than Antioch, Rome and Alexandria. It was a city that was planned carefully. It was laid out in a grid. Now. Coming from the southeast, I can tell you, you are laid out in a grid. You are in a nice pattern. We had to go around the mountains and the lakes and the rivers and the trees, and nothing is in a grid. But I try to teach my children the city, and it's pretty easy, right? Sansei, Coulter, Bell, Western, Georgia, Washington. You see, you see how it goes. It's about a mile apart, and it's in a grid. Well, so was Antioch, laid out in this beautiful grid, so as to take advantage of the breeze that would come through. the The houses were placed in such a way they all could get a chance at. Well, there's a Jewish community there of about 25, maybe 50,000 people in a city between a half million and and three quarters of a million people. This is a big city, Antioch. And so they begin, when they first arrive, just preaching to these 25 or 50,000 Jews. The witness begins with them. And then it begins to spread to folks like Cornelius, those God-fearers now it's no surprise in a port city a cosmopolitan city a large city that this would become the church that god would use to spread the gospel because it was positioned greatly with all the different cultures there in the city and so when paul goes on his missionary trips it's not the jerusalem church that is our sponsor it is the church at antioch that becomes the center of those missionary trips. Well, we proceed here in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now here we, beyond, beyond the Jews, now to the Greeks or the Gentiles also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now when you preach to the Jews, you preach... Christos, you preach Messiah Jesus. When you preach to the Greeks, you preach Kurios, Lord Jesus. Messiah wouldn't have meant a whole lot to a Greek. He wasn't longing or looking for a Jewish Messiah, but he was looking for the Lord of the cosmos, the Lord of all, and so they preached the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. Here's your turning point right here. started with Cornelius, and now a large number of Gentiles or Greeks are turning to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Now, Jerusalem, now Antioch is the church that sends Paul and Barnabas out on the missionary trips, But it is Jerusalem that is still the mother church. It is there that James, the brother, we're doing James on Tuesday noon. James, the oldest brother of Jesus, is in charge of the Jerusalem church. In fact, as you will see, he becomes to be the preeminent character in the, the early church, especially in Jerusalem and so they're concerned about the movement of christ everywhere they're kind of the center of all things and so when they get word that even more gentiles are believing up in antioch they say somebody's got to go check this out and they pick a character by the name of barnabas now barnabas is a good guy yeah They had sent Peter and John to check out out Philip's mission to the Samaritans in in chapter 8. And and they brought Peter to Jerusalem to report about Cornelius and those pagans believing in chapter 11. So no surprise now, at the end of chapter 11, they want to hear about these these Gentiles who are believing. And they send Barnabas. Barnabas must be surely the best character in all the New Testament. Uh, If you don't like Barnabas, if you don't like Barnabas, there's something wrong with you. Barnabas is the nicest guy. Now, I could argue about Peter and Paul and some other characters, but when it comes to Barnabas, he is the nicest guy. Barnabas is always encouraging people. Barnabas is always building bridges. Turn back to Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. You remember there's poverty in this church in Jerusalem. Folks are selling property and bringing the proceeds to the apostles to help out the poor. Look at 436. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he owned a tract of land and he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet wow, Barnabas is generous. And then then turn forward to chapter 9 and verse 27. Chapter 9 and verse 27. This is after Paul believes he comes to Jerusalem and everybody's saying it's a trick. Don't get close to Paul. He's just fooling you. We know him. He's out trying to arrest Christians and drag them back to to Jerusalem. No, no, do not have, have anything to do with him. Look. Look at verse 26 of chapter 9. And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. They were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Nobody. We believe now back to chapter 11. Nobody would believe in Paul until Barnabas the bridge builder did it. Now, Barnabas really isn't a Hellenist per se. He seems more associated with the most Jewish of Jews. He's associated with the Jerusalem church, with the pillar apostles there in Jerusalem, but somehow being uh, from being from Cyprus, he Probably speaks Greek fluently, and he's in a great position being part of that early core of the Jerusalem church and being able to speak Greek fluently and be an encourager. They believe Barnabas. Barnabas, you go find out. Barnabas is a peacemaker, a bridge builder, an encourager, a go between, just the kind of guy in church that doesn't need any glory or trophy or pen. He just wants to do the best for others. The kind of guy that uh, we all would dream to be. Well, they sent Barnabas to check it out and, and see what's going on in the church. And when he had come, now back to 1123, and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them. What's his name mean? Son of Encouragement. What do we find him doing again? Encouraging. Man, somebody can say a whole lot of things about you, but if somebody says you're an encourager, you get the gold star. There are a lot of people who are smart who aren't encouragers. In fact, their intelligence may make them be a discourager. There are a lot of people who are talented who don't have the ability to encourage us. But Barnabas is always encouraging. Look at verse 24, "For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Barnabas realized this thing's has been thing growing. Nothing happened in Jerusalem like it's happening in Antioch. i got to go get some help. Who can I get to help me? Well, about a decade ago in Jerusalem, I ran into a guy by the name of Paul. Look at verse 25. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. goes back to Saul's old stomping ground. He found him. He brought him to Antioch. It came about for an entire year. They met with the church. Can you imagine being in that church and having a year to sit at Paul's feet? Wow. Met with them for an entire year. When he starts those missionary journeys, he's somewhere for a month. They got Paul for a year to tell them about the Lordship of Messiah Jesus. And he taught considerable numbers, verse 26. And the disciples were first called Christians there at Antioch. Now, the word Christian at the beginning was a pejorative term. It wasn't something that Christians, it's not something we called ourselves. In fact, you would assume if I ask you how many times is the word Christian in the Bible, you're going to tell me 50 or 75. It's in there this many times. Three. It's not a word that we use ourselves. We called ourselves believers, called ourselves brothers, called ourselves disciples, followers of the way. We call ourselves anything but Christians. In fact, it is at the turn of the century, the second century, that Bishop of Antioch Ignatius begins to use the word Christian in a positive way. It's not a bad word. It has two words. It's Christos, or the Christ, and then Aeneas, or belonging or identified by. So to be a Christian is one who is identified by the Christ. We are the people identified by the Christ. We are, we are Christians. They're first called Christians at Antioch. Whoever's calling us that isn't meaning it nicely, however. Now, this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Just when you think you've got the puzzle solved, the mysterious guys come on the stage, the discordant notes get played, and there's these guys named prophets. Where did they come from and who are they? Well, let's let them stay a little bit of a mystery here. They come from Jerusalem, gives them some viability. They come to Antioch. And now we're going to be introduced to one of these mysterious characters, and this one's name is Agabus. We'll see him again. He began to indicate by the Spirit there would be certainly a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea, and this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders." As you read Paul's letters, one of the big things in these letters is this famine relief offering. So as Paul goes on his missionary journeys, he takes up money in the different cities like Philippi, and these Gentile churches take up an offering to go to Jerusalem, and that's what he's doing when he's arrested, and Acts, we'll get to all that, but he brings in the offering, and well, they had... They had benefited and been enriched by, by barring the Jews' God, Yahweh, and in the same way they paid back or gave back with physical means because the Jews were poor. They shared God's, they shared means to watch out after each other, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so when Paul's taking this offering, it's a big deal because if the Jews receive it, then they've received his Gentile missions. If they reject that money, then they've rejected his missions. You see? So this is a big deal, this offering. Claudius is from 41 AD, AD 41 to 54. So now you've got a time frame as to when this famine takes place. And it must have been awfully severe. You remember in this morning's sermon, he even says in Galatians, remember the poor Jews. Those are Jews that are poor as a result of this famine, and they do not have anything to eat. Chapter 12. Chapter 12, it gets kind of dark. Filter out some lights. We get a nasty character in Herod Agrippa I. Now about that time, Herod Agrippa I, the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. If up until now the apostles had been untouchable, now they are touched. Because Herod Agrippa I realizes that it is awfully popular with the Jews if he persecutes the church. And he had James, the brother of John, beheaded. Notice, put to death with a sword. That's how we know that it is not James, the brother of John, who writes the book of James because this is A.D. 44, Passover for A.D. 44, and he's beheaded, so he's not around in A.D. 60s when we're writing the book of James. So right here, because Herod Agrippa makes a political play, we lose one of the pillars of the apostles, we lose here James, the brother of John, one of jesus's favorites indeed When we saw that it pleased the jews well that was popular i'll chop off another head he arrests peter also now it was during the days of unleavened bread or you might say is during this feast time and when he had seized him he put him into prison delivering him four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the passover to bring him out before the people it would it would be a desecration during this festival time to actually put Peter to death. That would be dishonoring to the Jews. So he has to put him in jail overnight, and he puts him with these different squads that are guarding that are guarding him there. Four squads of soldiers guard him. So what happens with those, they're changing about every three hours during the night watch. He's chained to one on each hand and two, watching the gates to make sure that nothing can happen because, well, why? Why would you go to all this trouble to put that many guards? I mean, we have prisoners commit suicide today. Where was the camera? Where were the guards? Nobody was checking. Why would you take this religious prisoner and actually physically chain him to two guards and put two guards at the gate? Why was he such a high-profile escapee? Because the Jews reported he always gets out of jail. Be careful with this guy. You remember? He's in jail. He's out of jail. They don't know how he gets out of jail. Well, angels let him out of jail. You got to be careful with this guy. They, they, the reward was, you better watch him. We don't know how he does it, but he's always getting out of jail. So they give him the maximum watch during the time. And, well, it happens during the night. So look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. What are the next two words? But prayer. Does your translation say that? But prayer. Circle that, underline that. It's the first time I saw that and I read this thing a hundred times. But prayer. He's in prison, but somebody's a praying. Doesn't matter what comes before that sentence, does it? This is happening, but prayer. You've been in that sentence in your own life, your own family, haven't you? This awful thing's happening, but somebody's a praying, but prayer. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. They're praying hard, not regular kind of praying. This is fervent praying for him to be released from prison. On the very night when Hare was about to bring him forward, it's the night before. That increases attention of the storyteller. We don't have months to work this thing out. He's getting the chop in the morning. The night before. We're right there at it. Herod was about to bring him forward. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I told you it was two, bound with two chains. Guards on the front of the door were watching over the prison. Maximum security. He's not going to weasel out this time. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and the light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him and said, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals and... Well, he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. You kind of got to love this scene. Peter's not doing a whole lot. The angel's doing all the work. Peter's sleeping, he thinks, he, I mean, if you're going to get beheaded in the morning, I'm not sure I'd be snoozing so in such a state of faith. It, it might be one of those restless nights, you know. But Peter's sleeping there, the angel has to give him every little command. Get up, Peter. You think Peter, get on with it now. Well, okay, go ahead and put your coat on, Peter. Peter's still groggy. Okay, now put your shoes on, Peter. Would you follow me? Let's get out of this jail. Peter is passive throughout the whole saga of the angel. The angel, in fact, has to walk him down that girded city, those streets there. In fact, verse 9, Peter doesn't think it's real. He thought he's seeing a vision. They passed by the first and second guard. They came to an iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them. Even God had to open the gates for Peter. Just the gates swung open. And Peter came to himself. Finally, he's awake. Realizes he's outside of the prison. Now I know for sure that God has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, verse 11, and from all the Jewish people were expecting. You realize this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who's also called Mark, and they were gathered together. And what were they doing? Praying. And what were they praying for? Peter's release. So when they, he knocked at the door of the gate, a sovereign girl named Rhoda came and answered. She recognized Peter's voice. They're in there praying in a corner. They're broken up in their groups. They're Baptist. They're in groups of six or seven there. They're breaking up, praying all over John, Mary's house and... Peter knocks at the door, Rhoda's a servant girl. I mean, the big prayers aren't gonna get up during the prayer. Send Rhoda to the door. Rhoda goes to the door and she screams, As Peter, is Peter. Leaves him out there, they're looking for him, hello. Leaves him out there on the front porch, runs back in and says, it's Peter. And they say, do not interrupt our prayers. We're praying for Peter to be released. It cannot be Peter. (laughs) Well, what were you praying for? But prayer, fervent prayer. And so they go as much to say, you saw his guardian angel. I mean, they, the Jews thought that there was a parallel guardian angel for every person. And so they say, now remember, they're praying for his release. He quit bothering us. We are praying for Peter to be released. You could not have seen Peter. Well, look at verse 15. And they said to her, I was being nice. You are out of your mind. They even say it worse than I said it. But she kept insisting it's Peter, and they kept saying it's his angel. But Peter, uh, Peter's still outside. Hey, they're coming to kill me. They're about to cut my head off. Would somebody just let me in? One of the most faithless statements in all of the scripture. Makes me feel better about myself. Verse 16 and they saw him and they were amazed it should say and they saw him and it was as expected they saw him and they were amazed and he says "Shh!" verse 17 be quiet but go tell james that's james the brother of jesus and the other brothers, and he went out to another place. He's getting out of there. These folks are risky, these praying folks. He's going to somewhere else where they're not. Now, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have come of Peter. He's hard to keep in jail. And Herod had searched for him and had not found him. He examined the guards. I do feel bad about this. The guards did nothing wrong, and they get what? It's not pretty, let's just say it's not pretty, what happens to the guards in verse 19. Now, Herod is evidently in a trade war. I know we couldn't relate to that today, could we? But apparently Herod's in a trade war with some of the coastal cities, plain cities, and they are dependent, the folks on the coast, to Herod for their food. And so whatever Herod says, they got to do. They're trying to deal with Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and and make amends. And Well, on appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel. Now, Josephus tells us this story as well. And Josephus tells us the first century Jewish historian that this garment is made of silver. And when Herod gets up to give his speech, now remember, they're hungry. They need some food. They're going to praise Herod. He starts shining in the sun, and the people shout out, Oh, it's a God. It's a God. It's not a mortal. It is a God. It is more than a man. That's what they shout out to Herod. At the appointed day Herod, having put on his royal apparel, think of that silver shining in the sun, he took a seat on the roster and began delivering a dress to the people, cried out, "It's the voice of a God! It's not even a man. They're wanting some grain. And Mia, the angel of the angel Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and he died. There you go. That didn't take long, did it? Josephus spices it up a little. Whether you're going to accept Josephus' testimony or not, I'm going to accept it. You can choose, he's a first century Jewish historian. We are sure like him when he when he tells us things that agree with us, but he says that Herod before had been in prison uh, during the political turmoil, and he had seen an owl. And one of the prisoners in Joseph like fashion said, Oh, that's a good omen, that owl. Said, You're going to be released. And not only is he released, he becomes king of the Jews. But the prophet in prison says, but if you ever see an owl again, you'll die in five days. And when Josephus tells this story, while Herod is giving his speech and is shining silver, he looks up and he sees an whoo, whoo. And Josephus tells us, in five days, he is dead. In case you want to know the dirty end, Luke adds, and the worms ate him. And the worms ate him. Why? Because he did not give glory to God. That's why he was eaten by worms and he died, but the word of the Lord. He died, he became worm food, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Barthes and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Why had they gone to Jerusalem? To take that offering. When they fulfilled their mission, they brought back John, who's also called Mark. And we all already know about his mother, Mary, because that was where they gathered and prayed. Oh, God, what a powerful story. May we pray with faith and not be amazed when you answer. May we speak boldly the gospel Come what may, may we have open hearts to those with different practices and cultures who need to know Jesus, like the early church did. And in the name of the Christ Jesus or the Lord Jesus, he's both, we pray. Amen.